Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is from our Relentless Sermon Series, which walks through the book of Judges and sees how God is constantly pursuing His people. We hope this episode will be an encouragement to you, and we'd love to hear how God used it in your life. And let's take our Bibles today, and let's go to Judges chapter number 3, Judges 3 this morning, and we're going to uh, continue our series, Relentless, and I've been enjoying this series and I've knocked my water bottle down. That's twice today, so I'm going to see if I can do it a third time. Thank you, Leo. Thanks for not throwing it back at me. Judges 3, we've been going through the series Relentless, just understanding uh, how God's grace and love pursues us. And uh, we've seen this, of course, in this, uh, the book so far. That's our third message in the series. But before we get into the message today, I just want to ask you if you've ever known somebody uh, that you would consider they were a person that didn't back down. Someone, maybe it was your sibling that they never backed down to you, or maybe, hopefully it's not your spouse, uh, but you ever known somebody like that, someone who was just a not back down type of person? Um, when I think about that in my life, uh, I often think about a couple of situations with my dad. Not me versus my dad, just so you know. But I, I remember one time, and I've told the story before, but uh, Daniel and I, we were, of course, growing up there in, in, uh, in Greeley together, and my dad would take us on Sunday nights uh, during the summer. He would, we would load up the bikes and go with his folks or mine, and we'd go to the BMX track. And uh, now he was really good at BMX. I was just there. I, I had a Huffy, I think. Did you have a BMX bike? I had a Huffy, like the imitation. That's Walmart's brand of BMX, you know? And I remember we, we went one time, we went to the BMX track, and as we were riding that track, just going around and, and going over the jumps and different things, I remember that right in the middle of the track, there was these... Uh, these teenagers, and uh, you know, we were probably 10, 11 years old, and these teens, they're 15, 16, 17 years old, and they were, just, they were just parked, their bikes right in the middle of this BMX track. So every time we'd come around the turn, we'd have to get off our bike and kind of walk it around them and then get back on our bike and keep going. Well, my dad, at one point, you know, he's, I don't know how old he was at the time, something in his 40s, but he, w- he would walk over, and he, he walked over, he said, hey, hey, you teenagers, you guys get off that track. Why don't you get off the track, let the boys ride? And one of them mouthed off to him, I think cussed at him. And my dad just said, no, no, we're not going to do that. You, you boys just get off the track. And if I remember correctly, it was something like, well, what are you going to do, old man? And my dad just kind of looked at him. And I don't remember what he said, but it was something along the lines of this. You don't know what I'm going to do. And you don't want to know what I'm going to do get off the track. And those teenage boys, they kind of mouthed off again. I remember watching my, my dad wasn't like, oh, okay, it's okay. He just walked up to him and he said, I told you to get off this track. You are going to get off this track. Do you understand? Yes, sir. That's exactly what they sounded like. <laughs> Perfect timing. That's what they were like, you know, like, oh, okay. All right. We're, and I remember they got off the track and we, we ended up being able to go around and around. And there's a few times I remember seeing my dad as the, one of those guys that didn't back down our church there in Greeley. Anytime people would come and try to mess with the building, uh, we had people that would come and, and uh, they would go down into the certain um, stairwells of our church and use the restroom and they would graffiti places and just all this type of stuff. And I remember a couple of times my dad catching people that either were graffitiing or you know, using the outside of our building as a restroom. And my dad would walk up, what do you think you're doing? And they just look at him, well, you know, and they'd mouth off. He'd say, no, you're not doing that here. This is the house of God. You need to, you need to go, go in the middle of the street. I don't care what you do. Just don't go, don't do this right here. And I remember watching my dad have this, it wasn't a spirit of pride, like I'm going to get you. It was just, no, this is the right thing. I'm not going to back down in this. As I come to Judges chapter number three, I'm going to, we're going to find today an area of life that I believe that we're all gonna agree, it's God giving us a challenge. Don't back down. Don't back down in this area. And we're gonna find some great help today in Judges chapter three with the story of a man by the name of Ehud and a wicked king by the name of Eglon. And uh, Eglon, the Bible calls him a very fat man. So we're gonna go and talk about fat Eglon and uh, God's judge Ehud. And it's gonna be a great lesson today. And so I want you to take your Bible, if you would, Judges three, and let's stand. And we're gonna read through this. We're gonna read a good portion of scripture. And so if you can stand... excuse me for that. We're going to um, go through this. Judges chapter three and beginning in verse number 12, it says this, and the 
children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord strengthened Eglon, the king of Moab, against Israel because they had done evil in the sight of the Lord. And he gathered unto him the children of Ammon and Amalek and went and smote Israel and possessed the city of palm trees. So the children of Israel served Eglon, the king of Moab, 18 years. But when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, the Lord raised them up a deliverer. Ehud, the son of Gera, a Benjamite, a man left-handed. And by him, the children of Israel sent a present unto Eglon, the king of Moab. But Ehud made him a dagger, which had two edges of a cubit length. It'd be about 18, 18 to 20 inches. And he did gird it under his raiment upon his right thigh. And he brought the present unto the Eglon, king of Moab. And Eglon was a very fat man. And when he had made an end to offer the present, he sent away the people that bear the present. But he, this is Ehud, he himself turned again from the quarries that were by Gilgal and said, I have a secret errand unto thee, O king, who said, keep silence. And all that stood by him went out from him. So Eglon dismisses all the servants. And Ehud came unto him, and he was sitting in a summer parlor, which he had for himself alone. And Ehud said, I have a message from God unto thee. And he arose out of his seat, and Ehud put forth his left hand and took the dagger from his right thigh and thrust it into his belly. Listen, I love the Bible. I just love that phrase. He thrust it into his belly. You might not enjoy that, but you will hopefully after today, all right? It says, and the haft also went in after the blade and the fat closed upon the blade. So this is the Bible we're reading, and this is awesome. And the fat closed upon the blade so that he could not draw the dagger out of his belly and the dirt came out. Then Ehud went forth through the porch and shut the doors of the parlor upon him and locked them. When he was gone out, his servants came and when they saw that, behold, the doors of the parlor were locked, they said, surely he covereth his feet in his summer chamber. So they didn't disturb him and they tarried until they were ashamed. And behold, he opened not the doors of the parlor, therefore they took a key and opened them. And behold, their Lord was fallen down dead on the earth. And Ehud escaped while they tarried and passed beyond the quarries and escaped unto Sarias. And it came to pass when he was come that he blew the trumpet in the Mount of Ephraim and the children of Israel went out or went down with him from the Mount and, bef he, and he before them. And he said unto them, follow after me for the Lord hath delivered your enemies, the Moabites into your hand. And they went down after him and took the fords of Jordan toward Moab and suffered not a man to pass over. And they slew of Moab at that time about 10,000 men, all lusty and all men of valor, and there escaped not a man. So Moab was subdued that day under the hand of Israel, and the land had rest fourscore years. As we come to our passage this morning, again, we're going to discover from the story of Ehud and Eglon, discover an area of your life and my life that I believe we're going to be challenged. Don't back down. Don't back down. And we're going to see that together today. Let's start with a word of prayer. If you would, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, would you take a moment and just commit the time to God? Maybe ask God to speak to you. You can pray something like this. Dear God, please speak to my heart today. Dear God, please speak to my heart today. And then why don't you make a commitment that as God speaks to you today, that you're listening to him. Dear Lord, we come before you today and again, just humble our hearts to you and recognize our need of you to speak to us. Lord, I know this morning that you have something special for every single person that's here. And God, I don't know every heart, but you do. And so Lord, I pray that you would uh, speak as only you can. I do ask God if there's folks in here that they don't know where they'd spend eternity. I pray that today would be the day that they come to know you as their savior. I pray for every believer today that we'd be challenged not to back down in this area of our life. And Lord, I thank you for the word of God. Thank you for how you're gonna use it. Speak to us now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. 
We're going through this series in the book of Judges. The, the series title is the, the word relentless, and it's just discovering the uh, pursuing grace of God in your life and in my life. And we're, we're kind of seeing all of this take place in the life of the children of Israel. If we were to go, we would, we would understand that the children of Israel, when you come to the book of Judges, they find themselves in the promised land. They're already in the place that God had chosen for them. You go back to Genesis chapter number 12, and you find God promising the promised land to Abraham, and then he would reiterate that promise with Moses, and then he would reiterate that promise again with Joshua. The promise was simply this. It was God to the children of Israel who were his people, those that he had chosen to to manifest his glory and to kind of be uh, a picture of him to the world. That's what the people of Israel were. And so God kind of said to them, listen, I'm going to take you out, and I'm going to set you and use you to manifest or show people who I am. And I want you to do it in the Canaan land or the promised land. And so the children of Israel, they, of course, Abraham was the first one. They followed the Lord and they ended up in what we know as Israel now, that promised land area. Well, there was two things and there's many things, but two particular things that God had asked the children of Israel to do. He had asked for them, number one, when you get to the promised land, I want you to either A, drive out all the inhabitants of the land, or number two, destroy the inhabitants of the land. You see, the people that were living in the promised land, Abraham had been there for some time, the children of Israel with Joseph, they had left, and because of that, the land had been overrun with the enemies of God, the Amalekites and Moabites and Amalites and uh, all the ites that you see, the Perizzites and Hittites, and uh, go, go, just go read the ites, all right? That's all, they're all in, Gen- in Judges chapter number one. And so they had all kind of overtaken the land. They were the enemies of God. Well, God said to Joshua, when you get to the promised land, drive them out or destroy them. Take care of them. Well, here's what happened. You go read Judges chapter number one, and it's kind of an account, a recollection, if you will, of the life of Joshua and the people right after Joshua. And the Bible says in Judges one that they went into the land and this tribe drove out the Perizzites but didn't take them out all the way. And the tribe of Dan uh, drove out the Amalekites but didn't quite destroy them all the way. And so it would seem that the children of Israel, they gave God what we called partial obedience. God had said, I want you to drive them out or destroy all the inhabitants, but they only partially obeyed. They just obeyed a small portion of it. All right, that was one thing God had requested of them. The other thing was that God had said to them in Deuteronomy chapter six, when you get in the promised land, you need to teach the next generation who I am. Don't let there grow up a generation of people that don't know me. Well, if you go and you read the account, they got into the promised land. Number one, they didn't drive or destroy the enemies of God. But then number two, they forgot to teach the next generation. And Judges chapter number two, verses number, I think verse 12 down through verse number 14, you have the Bible right there. It says that there, there, was, there came up a generation that knew not God. Judges two fourteen. it says, and they forsook God. Okay, so we have a problem right here. Here's the problem. God had given them instructions and they only gave God partial obedience. They knew God, but they didn't teach him to the next generation. They pushed out some of the inhabitants, but not all of them. Now, here's where the book of Judges comes into effect. Because they had done this, God allowed the people, the enemies that they lived among, to every now and then enslave the people of God, to overtake them. And you go in Judges chapter number two uh, and the first part of number three last week or two weeks ago, excuse me, two weeks ago, we saw that they were uh, uh, run over by King Kushan Rishathayim. Remember that, Kushan Rishathayim? And I told you to say that name five times fast and some of you tried to do that while you're sitting there. You don't need to do it right now. Wait till afterwards. But Cushan Rishathaim, he came in and, and he overtook the children of Israel. And God would use a man by the name of Othniel that would come up and would avenge the people of God and destroy Cushan Rishathaim and his rule. And here's what happened. We said this last week. The children of Israel, they had what we call a cyclical relationship with God. You say, pastor, what does that mean? It's a circle relationship. Here's what it would be. Follow God. Don't follow God. Find judgment from God. 
Call out to God. Follow God. Don't follow God. Find judgment from God. Call out to God. It was cyclical. It was just a, it was just a wheel. Their, their relationship was a wheel. Round and around it went. Now, here's where we get the series title, Relentless. Judges chapter two and verse 16, the very first word says this, nevertheless, nevertheless. You say, what does that mean? They forsook God. Nevertheless, God never gave up on them. Man, aren't you thankful that God doesn't give up on you? Listen, we're so quick to condemn Israel. Like, what? How in the world? Why don't you obey God all the way? Why don't you teach your kids? And we condemn them. And yet there's times in your life that we too give God partial obedience. I'm so thankful for the book of Judges because it reminds me God doesn't say, okay, I'm done. God doesn't go, all right, you've, you've messed up one too many times. I'm done with you. Now, does that give us an excuse to mess up and sin? No. Paul said, what shall we say then that grace may abound? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? No, God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? That's grace and God's forgiveness and pursuance of us. Uh, it doesn't give me an excuse to just mess up and sin all the time. No, it should cause me to love God and want to draw closer to him. And it should have caused the children of Israel that, but it didn't. Instead, they kept this circled relationship where they would follow God, not follow God, follow God, not follow God, follow God, not follow God, just over and over and over and over again. And yet, you still read nevertheless. And our first message was thank God for the nevertheless. Man, thank him for the nevertheless. He never gives up. We see that to be true in Judges chapter number three with Cushan and Rishathayim. And now we see it to be true again. I want you to notice with me just a few thoughts today from the word of God. And then at the end, we'll wrap up our thought about not backing down. But I want you to take your Bible today. And I want you to, first of all, notice with me what I'm calling selfishness. I see a selfishness as we come into our story, as we open up the word of God. Judges chapter uh, three and verse number 11, the end portion of it, it says that the children of Israel had rest for, I believe it's for 40 years. Look with me. Judges chapter three and verse number 11, the land had rest 40 years and Othniel, the son of Kenaz died. When you look at that word rest, the word rest, it means peace. It means uh, there was kind of, they were living in fulfillment. Now listen, look up here. Here's what God wanted. God wanted them to live out a fulfilled life. That's what God wanted for his people. He wanted them to have a, a, we would call it now, a fulfilled Christianity, a fulfilled relationship with him. You see, many people look at the Old Testament and say, oh, God is interested in religion. False. God is interested in relationship. The whole Old Testament is about God pursuing his people and demonstrating to them his love because of Jesus Christ and showing them I will send a savior for all of the world. All of scripture points to Jesus and all of that says relationship. And so when you look at uh, Judges, the, the book of Judges, someone might say, well, see, here's what God was doing. God was just uh, letting his people run away and then he would judge them because he wanted them to obey and do and do and do. No, God wanted fulfillment for his people. He wanted them to find rest, peace, joy, fulfilled life. And yet they were the ones that were choosing to dismiss that. So Judges 3.11 tells us they were living in rest, but notice Judges 3.12, the very first part of it. Judges chapter three, verse number 12, here's what it says. And the children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord. The children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord. As you look at this, there selfishness, their, their desire to do evil in the sight of the Lord, this was them doing selfishly. This was them saying, God, we don't care what you want. We're going to pursue our own desires. God, we know we have rest right now, but we're going to try to find fulfillment outside of our relationship with you. That's what that phrase is, that they did evil again in the sight of the Lord. Hey, here they are living in a time of peace. Here they are living in a time at rest, and they have this selfishness. Man, the children of Israel, they had a great struggle. I believe that they, like any uh, nation or any individual, desired peace and rest. Let's just think about it for just a moment. That's what you desire. 
Oh, pastor, you're talking about peace for America. Okay, yeah, 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 we want peace for our country. Oh yeah, we want no wars and all that type of stuff, okay. But I'm talking on an individual basis. Do you know what your soul and my soul every day longs for? Rest. Yeah, pastor, I could use a vacation. No, 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 that's not what I'm talking about. Vacations are good, days off are good, they're, they're healthy. My wife made me take one this week. They're healthy for you. I'm kidding, kind of. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about soul rest. I'm talking about that when you go through a trial and you go through a circumstance and you go through a heartache, that your heart still has peace from God. Yes, there's sorrow. Yes, there's heartache. Yes, there's frustration, but there's peace. I know God's in control. And I just, I'm finding fulfillment in my relationship with God. Listen, that is what every single person in here is searching for. That's what every, every human being on the face of the planet is searching for. We search for peace and fulfillment in many ways. Some people search for it through their job, building the dollar. Some people search for it through relationships, in and out of relationships. Some people search for it through some sort of drug or alcohol. Some people search, through, search for that peace or that rest through hobbies or experiences. You know, the, the high experiences, the thrill seekers, they're, what are they doing? They're seeking for that which will satisfy their heart. Well, can I just say this this morning? All of that, it, those things aren't wrong. It's not, not wrong to, now the out, drugs and alcohol, you understand that is, but work isn't wrong, family isn't wrong, hobbies aren't wrong. Listen, I go cliff jumping, thrill streaking's not wrong. But when I'm using that to search for fulfillment in my life, that is driven by selfishness. And the Bible declares that as pride. And God says that is evil in my sight. And that's exactly where the children of Israel are. Are you still with me? That's where the children of Israel were. They were living out selfishness. And the Bible tells us that when we live out selfishness, that it's like we're just following our own heart. I said that the children of Israel had that cyclical relationship. Here's what the psalmist said, Psalm 78, 10. They kept not the covenant of God and refused, not, or refused to walk in his law. Nevertheless, they did flatter him with their mouth and they lied unto him with their tongues for their heart was not right with him. You see, all of Israel's relationship struggles with God, all of them were rooted in selfishness. And the children of Israel, they were prone to forsaking this, to this forsaking of God and this pursuing of selfishness. And you and I are too. We're prone to this when we listen to our heart. I, and, and if you've said this, I'm not trying to condemn or anything. I hate the phrase, follow your heart. And we see it on everything, you know, I mean, all the Disney movies, all everything, our culture, you know, just follow your heart, follow your heart. Ah. You say, pastor, how dare you say that? A uh, God said it. He said, oh, pretty much. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Um, who can know it? Don't follow your heart. Why? My heart is driven by selfishness. I see a selfishness this morning, but I see that that selfishness, you know what it did? It led to serving. It led to serving. We won't read it, but verse 13 and 14, you know that it tells us that the children of Israel, they were overran by Amalek and by Ammon. And who were they all led by? They were led by the Moabites. And who was the king of the Moabites? Eglon, the very fat man. I'm just gonna keep saying that all day because it's fun to say. Eglon, the very fat man, he's the one who's leading them and what do they do? You go and you read verse number 14. Notice what it says. So the children of Israel served Eglon, the king of Moab, 18 years. Okay, so here's, here's the situation. We have the children of Israel. They're supposed to be living in the promised land, serving who? God. 
Man, God said, I want to use you. I got plans for you. I'm going to fulfill you and I'll give you rest and joy and peace. And I love you. And man, they had this great opportunity to serve a loving, wonderful creator that said, I have purpose with you. They had opportunity to serve that loving God. And yet, what do we find them serving? We find them serving a heathen, hateful king that cared nothing for them. Why? Because their selfishness led to service. Selfishness led to service. And it kept them longer than they wanted to stay. And it made them pay more than they wanted to pay. Why do you say that? Verse 14, they served him. How many years? 18 years. Listen, 18 years is a long time. Any 18-year-olds in here this morning? No, Carlos, how old are you? 21. Man, 18 years. Can you imagine how, how, many, of you, how many of you can remember being 18? Anybody remember that? Can you? Can you? Tom, you can remember that far? I'm just kidding. I'm just teasing. Listen, I can remember being 18 and thinking, oh, man, my, now I'm 36 now. I can't imagine. I can't imagine my 18, being 18, that seems like forever ago. Even though I know some of you are like, you're just, you know, what, Mrs. Honeycutt, what am I? I'm a young whippersnapper. <laughs> Miss Honeycutt reminded that when we started the church, that's what she calls it. Man, you're just a young whippersnapper. Listen, being 36, looking back to 18, 18 years in between that, I can't imagine having to serve somebody for all of these years. But that's where they're at. Why? Selfishness. It led them into service. Now, instead of serving a God who loves them, they've become enslaved to a king who hates them. And their selfishness led them to becoming enslaved. And here's the truth this morning, and don't miss this. This will tie into the whole entire rest of our message. Selfishness always leads to service. Selfishness always leads to service. And pay attention, this, this will help us. When you and I choose to serve ourself, to live selfishly, just like they were, they were living selfishly. When we choose that, we too end up serving something other than God. It is not Eglon. It is called the flesh. Here's how Paul wrote it. Catch it. Here's how Paul wrote it in Romans 6, 16. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. Here's what Paul is saying. Hey, listen, every day, every day you wake up and you choose, I'm going to live selfishly and serve the flesh, me, or I'm going to live for God and serve him. That's what you and I choose every day. That's what it boils down to. You choose that. I choose that. Sunday morning, today, July 28th, tomorrow, July 29th, the 30th, 31st, the 1st, 2nd, 3rd, all the way to the end of this year, all the way into the 2020, 2021. If the Lord uh, doesn't come back before then, 2030, 2050, whatever it is, if you're still breathing every single day, you and I wake up, we choose to live selfishly or to live in surrender. And based upon what we choose, that determines who we serve. Eglon in this passage is a picture of you and I serving the flesh. They were serving a king who didn't care for them. They were serving a king who abused them and was just using them. And you and I do the same. You say, pastor, explain to me very quickly what the flesh is. When we're born, we're born sinners, right? We're, it's called natural sinners. We're just, it's just who we are. I love the illustration. You never have to teach a kid how to sin. Like with our children. I never have to taught, I never had to, had to teach Dennis, Lena, or Micah how to sin, ever. Didn't sit them down and say, all right, this is how you tell daddy a lie. They just like knew it. Got it from Hannah's side of the family. <laughs> I didn't teach them, I didn't teach them how, I didn't teach them that they had to uh, disobey or that they had to be mean to their siblings or how to, you know, I didn't teach the boys how to fight with each other or how to yell things. At, I didn't teach them any of that. Now, you might think I did, 
but I didn't. They knew it. Why? They're born in the flesh. It's sin nature. But here's what happens. When a person asks Jesus Christ to forgive them of their sin and come into their life, you get a new nature. The old has passed away. Corinthians 5, 17 says, all things are made new. You're made new in Christ when you receive Jesus as your savior. But here's the down part. We still live in this body. We still live in this flesh. Some of you are like, pastor, you don't have to remind me. Man, I woke up this morning, it was screaming at me. I woke up, every time, every day I walk, every step I take, my flesh is screaming at me. You know what that is? That's this body, that's corruption. It's not the nature anymore. It's just what's left of that nature. It's like, I have used the old adage, you ever work with animals, if you ever cut the head off of a snake, what's the body still do? Still squirms around for a while. You ever pop the head off of chicken, what's the chicken body do? Still runs around a little bit. The head's cut off and it's dead, but the body just doesn't know it yet. When you got saved, sin's head was cut off, sin's rule in your life is cut off, but your body, your flesh just doesn't know it yet. And if you wake up tomorrow and say, you know, I'm gonna live for myself, you will become enslaved more and more and more driven by this flesh. Why? Because selfishness always leads to service. When we choose to live selfishly, we become servants of the flesh. I see this morning when I look at this selfishness, which leads to service, but I want you to notice thirdly with me today what I'm calling surrender. Surrender. I love this verse. If you go to verse number 15, Judges 3, 15, it says this, but when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, the Lord raised them up a deliverer. When they cried unto the Lord, the Lord raised them up a deliverer. Boy, I love this, and here's why. God didn't quit on them again. God didn't quit again. Here they are in this sac the, that cyclical relationship saying, we're gonna follow God. No, we're not. We're gonna serve and do evil. And then they end up serving the false king. They end up serving Eglon, and here they are. And the, the, the word cried, we saw it a couple weeks ago. The word cried, it means to be assembled together and humble before. So they literally gathered together and there had to be somebody because Judges 2 tells us that they forsook the Lord, but there had to be somebody that remembered God and somebody that says, hey, you know what we need to do? We need to call out to God in this situation. We cannot do this on our own. We need to surrender ourselves back to the Lord. And that's what Judges 3.15 helps us understand they were doing. They were coming back, uh, submitting themselves saying, God, listen, we repent. We understand that we've done wrong. We understand that we've left you. God, we understand that you have allowed this to take place, but God, we need you. And I love it. God came through because what's it say? And the Lord raised up a deliverer. Listen, you mark it down in scripture. When you call out to God, God meets you. When you cry out to God, God meets you. Why? Because you are his prized possession. Because he loves you. The word of God says that he can number every hair on your head. For some of you, it's pretty easy. Right, Brother Chad? Man, for, for some, it, it's easier. But you know what? God, God looks at you and he says, you mean something to me. I'm your, I'm your father. Call out to me and I'll meet you. Call out to me and I'll help you. Surrender back to me. Listen, and I'll send a deliverer. Now here's the truth I want us to recognize and understand this morning. It is this. In your battle against the flesh, in your battle against sin, you can't do it on your own. I can't do it on my own. You know what we need? We need his help. Israel could not defeat Eglon and the Moabites alone. You know what they needed? They needed God 
to intervene. They needed God to show up and do something big. And in your life and my life, when we struggle each and every day, you know what we need? We need God to show up and do something big. My friend, you don't need a raise at work. You need God in your life. You don't need, well, I just need a, you know, maybe this marriage will work out. Maybe this relationship will work out. Maybe this new friend will work out. No, no, no. You need God in your life. That's what we need. We, we have to realize I cannot operate in this life on my own. I've got to come back and sur- come to a place of surrender where I say, God, I need you in this. And that's where the children of Israel were. That's where they were at. They were saying, God, we need you. It's like the one <clears throat> psalmist said, I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. No, not, uh, no, now know I that the Lord saveth his anointed. He will hear him from his holy heaven with the saving strength of his right hand. Listen, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we, the people of God, we will remember the name of the Lord our God. We trust in him. He said through Jeremiah, call unto me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things. Not tiny and puny things. I'll show you great and mighty things when you surrender back to who I am. Listen, I want to know this morning, do you want God just to do little small things in your life or do you want God to do miracles? Man, I want God to do miracles in my life. What's it going to take? Stop living selfishly because you're serving the flesh. Instead, surrender. And you know what happens when we surrender? Here's the next thought for us this morning. When we surrender, God sends a solution. God sends a solution. In our story, the solution, his name was Ehud, a left-handed man. Now you go through and we don't have time to do everything this morning, but the children of Israel, they cry out to the Lord. God provides, you can go read it, 315 through through 26. God provides deliverance through this man, Ehud. And here's the story. Ehud didn't go at it ignorantly. He got himself a dagger. Quinn made this for me, specifically for today. And this puppy is sharp. This is a cubit long. It's a dagger. It'd be similar to what he had. The Bible tells us that he was a left-handed man. Eglon, a very fat man that was there, and we can presume that he was just a very lazy man because of the context of the scripture and everything that that the scripture gives us. And so the Bible tells us that Eglon uh, was there in his summer parlor. He was just there relaxing. This would kind of be like a little uh, attached balcony to maybe his main uh, hall as a king. And don't think this big, magnificent stuff. Just think maybe a simple house that would have a little balcony that could lock behind it and something like that. and so uh, Eglon is out there. Well, Ehud, they, they, were delivering, they were delivering what was called the Mincha offering. Now the Mincha, M-I-N-C-H-A, the Mincha offering, Hebrew, it was for them to actually deliver to God. The Mincha offering was a worship offering that they were supposed to give to God. But in our passage, who were they giving it to? They're giving it to Eglon. Why? Because when you and I sacrifice ourselves on the altar of selfishness, you will always end up serving sin and you will always end up having to give more than you ever wanted to. That's the truth about sin. It takes more than you ever want to give. The old saying, it makes you stay longer than you want to stay, pay more than you ever want to pay. And that's where they are. So Ehud, he says, hey, guys, we're going to gather. We're going to take the Mincha offering. We're going to take it up to, to King Eglon, and, and we're going to do this. And so they go up. They deliver the offering to Eglon. They're in the summer parlor. or They're in the, in the, the throne room, maybe. And, and as they're leaving, the Bible says they get down the road. And this whole time, this whole time, Ehud has this dagger wrapped around his inside thigh, wrapped around his leg right there. His robe would cover it up and the girdle and everything would all be taken care of it and that, that, that would be right there. I'm not going to walk around with it because I'm going to cut my leg. That would be right there the whole time. They take the offering in, they go, and then they start going back and they get by the quarries, the Bible says, kind of by that area where uh, demolition was taking place and the rock harvesting and different things. And When they get there, Ehud says, hey guys, I'll, I'll meet up with you later. I'll meet up with you guys later. He goes back, I've got an errand for Eglon. He goes to Eglon, he says, Eglon, I've got a word for you. I've got a message for you. It's a message from God. Eglon says, hey, um, servants, you guys need to be dismissed. You need to be just, just going out and be dismissed. All the servants leave. 
I can imagine Eglon, and the Bible says that one of them stood up. You can know it wasn't Eglon. Okay, Eglon wasn't standing in this passage. It was Ehud. So they're there and they're sitting and he says, uh, King, I got, a, I got a message for you. Remember that dagger's there? I got a message for you. I can see Eglon kind of leaning forward and Ehud stands up. He says, I've got a message from the Lord. And he pulls out the dagger and the Bible says that he thrusts it in. He thrusts it in. And when he takes that dagger and he thrusts it in, I love what it says. His belly swallowed it up. He shoved it in there, and it says that even the haft, the handle, everything went, what? And this thing is super sharp, Quinn. You're trying to kill me. It, it, all, it all went up in there. And this is kind of the gross part. When the Bible says his, the dirt came out, it's not talking about, you know, like he was just hadn't showered in a while. Like his bowels came out. Do I need to describe that? Or are we good? We're good? Okay. All right. So he shoves that knife and <laughs> I love the Bible. The fat closes upon it and then his bowels just gush out. And I love it because he must, I mean, Ehud had to have known what he was doing because no screech goes out. You know, like if you got stabbed with this, like, I'm sorry. I'm like, ah, my servants are hearing. They're, I'm like, war, someone's trying, you know. And he must have knew. He hit the perfect spot and Ehud just. <laughs> surprised they didn't feel an earthquake or something, you know. But Ehud, he wasn't ignorant. God sent a solution. His name, listen, the solution was a willing man with a sword. That was the solution. A willing man with a sword. The servants go and they try to find uh, the, uh, the king, you know. They knock on that summer parlor door and the Bible says they didn't want to disturb him. They thought he was sleeping until finally they feel guilty and so they go in. I shared this with Micah. It's a little lengthy quote, but I think it's hilarious. When the servants found the door locked and it all quiet, they concluded that he had laid down to sleep. They thought he's probably covered his feet and gone to consult his pillow about the message he had received and to dream about it. The servants at length opened the door and found their master had slept indeed, his long sleep. <laughs> I love that. And they opened the door and they're like, he is asleep. He's dead. And by this time, Ehud, verse 25 and 26, he is long gone. He's long gone. But here's what I see in this story. I mean, what a great story. What a great picture. You see, God's solution was a willing individual and a sword to defeat the enemy. Did you know God's solutions are often unlikely? You think about this. I mean, God used this willing individual, Ehud, an 18-inch sword to defeat a king that had been oppressing them for 18 years. It would seem like this king would have had better bodyguards. It would seem like this king would have had more wisdom to not send out uh, all of his servants when the enemy was right there. And yet God, his plan, it, always doesn't, it doesn't always make sense, but it always works because he uses unconventional ways to achieve victory. Think about this. God used the children of Israel to simply walk around Jericho for six days and seven times on the seventh day, and they obtained victory. God told Gideon, and we'll see this later on, he told Gideon to get 300 men and use a lamp, a trumpet, and a pitcher, and God provided victory over hundreds uh, or over thousands of the enemy. In the New Testament, God provided a whole meal for over 12,000 people with five loaves of bread and two fishes. In the Old Testament, God would use Joseph, a slave, to save his people. God would take the lowly disciples, most of them fishermen and outcasts and reprobates and people that you wouldn't even and I would not associate with, and yet God used them to turn the world upside down. The scripture says he uses the foolishness of preaching to change the world. I mean, you think about that. Why would God let some pastor 
some 36-year-old uh, kid, if you will, like Glenn calls me, 36-year-old kid get up and, and preach God's word every week because God has chosen to take the foolish things of this world to confound the wise and the weak things of this world to debase the strong. And listen, here's what it is. God uses unconventional ways to give victory. He does it all throughout the word of God. And can I tell you, God does it in your life as well. Here's the truth. He's given you an unconventional way to obtain victory. Let's go back. Selfishness always leads to service. When we're selfish, we begin serving the flesh. But when we cry out to God, God every time offers a solution. God gives you a solution to have victory in your life each and every day. He gives you a solution for anger. God gives you a solution for bitterness. God gives you a solution for lust. God gives you a solution for greed. God gives you a solution for frustration. God gives you a solution for every single sin. Well, what's the solution? What was God's solution with Ehud? Here's what it was. A willing person and a sword. You know what it is in your life? A willing person and a sword. God gives you victory. It's in your hand. You possess it. You possess the 18-inch dagger. Oh, it doesn't look like this. It looks like this. The Word of God says that his sword, that, that, that the Word of God is the sword of the Spirit, and it's through the Word of God that you and I obtain victory and God's solution for you to overcome your aglon, your flesh, your sin. It's the same solution we find here, a willing individual and a sword. And here's the simple truth that the Word of God is so important in our lives. Why? Because the Word of God, it cuts and stabs at our sin, and God gives victory by his spirit through his word. This is why it's important for you to be in the word of God. This is why it's important for you to get up in the mornings and spend time with him or before you go to bed, get time in the word. Why? The psalmist said this, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not ascend, that I might not sin against thee. I think about Hebrews chapter four and verse number 16. It says the work of God, the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, the joints and marrow as a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And listen, my friend, what you and I need to understand is God's solution to you living, God's solution to you and I living a victorious, fulfilled Christian life is always going to be you as a willing individual getting with the sword. That's what it is. We complicate the Christian life. We make it harder than it needs to be. You wanna get the filth and the dirt out of your life? Use the sword. I love how Brother Tomlinson put it at men's retreat, kind of preached uh, a few thoughts here. And here's what he said. Shove the sword in until the dirt comes out. Use scripture to clean out the filth in your life. The word of God, what should it be? It should be that which cleans out the filth of my life. His sword helps you overcome every single sin that you and I could face. That's his solution. And I appreciate what my friend Jason said a, a few months ago. Jason's just like, what are you getting me into, Pastor? We were talking one day, going through, just talking about the word of God. And Jason, of course, trust Christ last year. Many of you know his testimony. And he said, man, the Bible addresses everything. Man, this thing, I, I never knew that the word of God addresses everything in my life. And you've probably had that aha moment as well. Someday when you're talking with somebody and they're like, oh, well, you know what? Let's go to the Bible. You're like, the Bible talks about business now. The Bible talks about merit. The Bible can help me with my kids. Wait, the Bible helps me with finances and stewardship? No, the Bible helps me with friendships. Hold up. So you're telling me the Bible helps me when people stab me in the back, it helps me know how to respond? Yeah, it addresses everything. Why? It's the solution. A willing individual, me and you, with the dagger. I see this morning a selfishness that led to a serving, but a surrender that led to the solution and let me close with this. I see also a great significance in this story. I won't read the passage, but you can read it. Verse 27, 28, 29, and 30. You know what happened? Ehud's faith affected the entire nation. And they gained victory over Moab. And the Bible says in verse number 30 that they now had rest, fulfillment, and peace for 80 years. 80 years, double what they had under Othniel. 
Can I just tell you that your faith is significant? Ehud's faith was significant. God used Ehud's faith to help them understand God has victory for all of us. He used the faith of Ehud to influence the faith of those around him. And just as your sin, just as your sin doesn't just affect you, your faith over sin doesn't just affect you. You see, here's the truth today that God can use your faith and your victory in the lives of those around you. So this morning, at the beginning of the message, I encourage you, don't back down. Well, pastor, what are you saying? Don't back down from what? Listen, don't back down from fighting the control of sin and flesh in your life. Don't give in. Don't be one of those individuals that says Eglon can stay in your life. Listen, if you've been surrendering kind of selfishly, just saying, you know what, I'm gonna live for me, fight it. How do I fight it? You're a willing individual, here's the solution. You're a willing individual, here's the solution. I wanna ask you today, if you know Jesus Christ as your savior, will you commit, this week I'm fighting. This week, Eglon's not staying in my life. No, this week, I'm gonna be an Ehud, a willing individual with a dagger. Oh, you listen, you look at this and we think, wow, that's cool. Quinn showed me he made it this morning. I didn't even know he did that. Man, it's awesome. And I don't mean any disrespect to Quinn. He understands that. This is even awesomer. Is that an okay word? Yeah? Awesome. This is the awesomest. Thank you, Isaac. Listen, that dagger's cool. The story, the story in Judges is great, but the story doesn't stop. No, God's given you victory each and every day. Last thing I want to say is this. In this story, we actually find a great picture of Jesus Christ. Eglon represents sin, but you know what? Ehud, Ehud can also represent Jesus. Because here's what happened. Just as God sent Ehud as a deliverer, God sent Jesus as a deliverer. Here's the truth. Every single person in this room is born a sinner on their way to hell separated from God, no relationship with God, destined to spend eternity apart from God. And yet that's why Jesus came. He came so that you could have complete forgiveness of your sin and so that you could have a relationship with him. And if you're here today, this is your first time or it's your 15th time or whatever, and you do not know that heaven is where you'd spend eternity, listen today, you don't need to worry about the struggle of sin in the flesh. You need to worry about where you're gonna spend eternity. Because the Bible says that after we die, we go to heaven or we go to hell. If we have a relationship with God because we've trusted in Jesus, we go to heaven. We go to hell if we're trusted in anything else. Well, I'm a good person. That won't get you to heaven. Well, I've done good things. That won't get you to heaven. I've been baptized. I go to church. I do this. I do that. Anything we do will not get us to heaven. It's all what Jesus has done. He is the Ehud that has defeated the devil. And when Jesus died on the cross, he was dying for your sins and he rose from the dead to prove that he is God and that he can be trusted. I ask you today, do you know for sure that you have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ? If you're here and you've never received Christ as your savior, today you need to make that decision. Thank you so much for listening to this message. If you would like further information about our church, please visit moseslakebaptistchurch.com.